Like we need a government, but government is different than politics. I believe in the next 10 years, there will be this shift that's already happening. People are moving to smaller communities. They're moving back home. They're getting out of these um, dictatorships, frankly, is what a lot of these big cities have become. The only thing that's really protected is freedom of thought. And when that stuff starts to go away, when people start tell you, telling you how you should think, to me, it's like, then you, you've lost me. It's such a relief to be like, oh, I can just be a total mess and it's totally fine. Like, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Just go to Walmart and like <laughs> buy some towels and then everything will be fine. That's maybe my survival mechanism is just trying to find the funny, the humor in things. I tend to feel uncomfortable when I get too comfortable. Like when things are super easy, I'm like, am I growing? Am I mm -hmm. challenging myself? So that's always been my biggest challenge. Like how can I just stay still and just kind of enjoy and let things come as opposed to trying to like force. The relationship with yourself is the most important one that we have to nurture and cultivate because no one's gonna to wanna to be with you if you can't stand yourself, you know? I also don't think that being in a relationship is the end goal of life. I think that there, yes, I think that relationships are important, but I think it's just as important to understand who you are in the world so you can come into whatever relationship you're in as a full person. The essence of who we are is enough as it is because we were made in the image of God. That is my belief. And what, we're, what we are striving for in life is to be reconnected to that source. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Connection. I've known my next guest since my early days in Los Angeles, circa the early 2000s. Rebecca Iliff is a writer, author, and entrepreneur based in Nashville, Tennessee. Her work has appeared in Inc., Entrepreneur, Mashable, Forbes, Business Insider, New York Times, HuffPost Comedy, Weekly Humorist, Irma Bombeck Blog, The Satirist, Little Old Lady Comedy, Chicken Soup for the Soul, BU, and many, many more. Her first book, Champagne for One, A Celebration of Solitude, was released earlier this year. Prior to pursuing a full-time writing career, Rebecca was a Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur and founder of Talk Tech Communications in Los Angeles. She has lived and loved in Nashville since 2017. This interview is basically a catch-up with an old friend. Rebecca and I dive headfirst into our conversation and chat about everything from feminism and ideological extremes to the importance of solitude and her beef with Jessica Chastain. Just when I thought the interview was over and I hit pause on the recording, 10 minutes later, Rebecca and I were back into it. So I divided our conversation into two parts. Rebecca's candid demeanor, sense of humor, and wit are the reason this friendship has lasted across time and space. So enjoy part one of my conversation with Rebecca Iliff. What if we just could live like dogs? And this mm -hmm. like worst quote ever, but there's a sign that my dad got me for some, I have to put it in the house somewhere, but it says dogs, what is it? Dogs wanted human, humans tolerated or something like that. <laughs> um, pretty much. That's but, about it. Um, I've been reading your papers. They were oh. great. Thanks. Yeah, the um, the manliness one was, it's interesting. I've been reading this book, um, which I'll, I think I sent it to you maybe, but it's by Julie Bendel. Called, I've mentioned it. I don't know that you sent me. The... It's called Feminism for Women. Oh. Which is, it's interesting. Like, I agree with like 70% of what she says, mm -hmm. but then it's like 30% of it. I'm like, mm, I don't know about that, but she talks about the fact that feminism is actually the original 
intent wasn't about equality. It was about protecting like women and girls, you know, mm -hmm. and it isn't about like all these superficial rights that we're talking about now and like how well now it's become a men's movement and a transgender movement and she's like no back off like this is a women's this movement is for women and it's about protecting women from violent and um aggressive men essentially you know it's it's really interesting i i think you'd appreciate it because yeah. i'm learning a lot about like where it's come, like where it started in the original intent and how it's been bastardized. And now it's like kind of like this faux feminism. You talk about that in your, in your paper a little bit, but what's the term that he uses in, in the manliness book that we had to read, which was the basis for that paper. Um, his name is Harvey, mm -hmm. Harvey Mansfield, yeah. <laughs> oddly enough, wrote a book yeah. about manliness. Um, but he calls it womanly. He calls it womanly nihilism. Like there's yeah. almost this hatred for, for being, for the biological aspects of being a woman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like we hate ourselves enough. We don't need to be told <laughs> anyway. Like your yeah. reproductive, your, your, your ability to reproduce is a, is a curse. Someone just said something on Twitter. Oh, it was Jessica Chastain who did the like happy fourth from me and my reproductive rights, you know? And I'm like, okay, don't forget you live in a country that allows you to do this against the government, you know, like. Anyway, but somebody in a country that allows people as idiotic with no talent as you to have a movie <laughs> deal. I mean, there could not be a worse actress on the face of the planet, except for maybe Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Somehow I'm going to edit this all in together. But um, the point is you live in California and none of your rights. It's, it's the yeah, most, you changed. know. You, Why don't you then, go over to Alabama and advocate for the women that you abstractly talk about caring about? Cause you don't give a shit about them. Exactly. Well, that's what, I, that's the other thing I want to tell all these women. Why don't you go work in a woman's shelter? Like you really want to help these women go work in a shelter, which yeah. they would never do. But, um, no, they're too busy getting their Botox, which again, I'm as vain as the next person, but at least like you're honest, <laughs> honest about it. And, and then not pretending to be something you're not. And by the way, it's like when you do, do service and be of service. You aren't shouting it all over the place. Like, I mean, I feel like 90% of my life is private and there's a reason for that. And I don't need to tell everyone like what I'm doing every second of the day to perform. I mean, yeah. you know, you and I have both been in that world of performance and it's kind of like, it's just really gross. Yeah. Who are you performing for? Like who, who are you doing this for? Anyway. Me, myself and I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but one of the, one of the comments was that about California and they're like, women need to stand up for women ever, uh, the slavery of women everywhere. And I was like, well done. That's the first time I've heard motherhood equated directly equated to slavery. Wow. Yeah. Well, and the, and the truth is those things by themselves, like there is sex trafficking, there is human mm -hmm. slavery, there is all those things, yeah. but happening is they're being conflated under the auspices of women's rights mm -hmm. to fit the bill for whatever kind of, again, performance of du jour, mm -hmm. to look like you're doing something and that you have some sort of stance on something. Whereas if the wind blows this way the next day, you'll be over here. Yep. So I, I, you know, yeah, we'll get into it, but 
I just think that I think that people need to take a step back and figure out what they actually think. Um, and they need to read like real texts from real writers who have real experience and stop st hanging out on social media and like watching memes. I know. Well, yeah. memes are fun though. They can be fun. Uh, but you pointed, you, what They're you fun. said is, is really important. Like figure out what you believe. And to me, a lot of this stuff on the far left or progressive or whatever you want to call it is like, there is no fundamental belief. There is no fundamental, they don't know what their pillars of morality or justice, or they, they actually have no strong foundation. It's like in the Bible, you build your house, you know, Jesus is the rock. Other people are building their house on the sand, on sand. Yeah. And for me, what I see with the progressive movement is that it's a house built on sand and it just starts to, sh when, the, when the earth starts to shift, the whole house crumbles. Well, and it's the, you know, it's this concept of, um, I don't know. It's, it's illiberal. First of all, I don't even call it liberal. It li like to me, the, the whatever's happening way on this side, the extreme is not, it has nothing to do with being a liberal. Mm -mm. It has nothing to do with control. Same. That's why I call it, by the way, progressivism. Like I, yeah. I try to, yeah. like, I try to separate the ideology of progress, the ideology of progressivism from the liberal political party. Yeah. So I'm more like, you know, well, it's the same thing on the right. I mean, they're both kind of that horseshoe. I don't know if you've heard of like the horseshoe thinking or mm -hmm. it's, I think Barry Weiss talk, has talked about it a bunch on her podcast and her writing, but it's essentially like you take a horseshoe and you have like the progressives on this side and then you take all of these, which, you know, they aren't principle first thinking, they're ideological first thinking. So you take all of these things and you go around the circle and on this side, you have like the very puritanical, um, religious right thinking and they're actually very close and mm. most people are here so it's like if you look at the ideologies of both of these sides and their ways of thinking they're both they're both fundamentally saying the same thing they're just coming at it from a different vantage point where so it's like they're actually closer than most of us that some, are yep. so it it would be interesting to for you to look into that analogy i'm probably screwing it up but like it's yeah, something that makes sense mind where, you know, they're fighting and everyone else is just like, hey, we're like up here, what the hell? Like, what are you talking about, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but it seems like the, the people on the ends of the horseshoe or what we would say are the opposite side right. of the spectrum yeah. um, get the that's most attention. And so it seems like that's where everybody is, right? Because that's it, what the media feeds off of and that's what, that's what drives clicks and- Well, I don't understand, like, I mean, I live now in, Springfield, Tennessee, which is 30 miles north of Nashville. It's a town of 30,000 people. It's pretty like middle class, you know, like blue collar. And I mean, I love it. It's very, very similar to how you grew up, similar to how I grew up. Um, you just talk to people and it's, I mean, yes, I'm in Tennessee and I understand that it's a red state or whatever that even means anymore. But I believe most people are good. I believe most people want pretty much the same things. And so if you just talk to your neighbor you can get a much better sense of the world than if you go on Twitter and spend all your time in the echo chamber. So I think it's, it's been a good, kind of like a good exercise, but also like a, a relief to be in a place that is so really quote unquote normal. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. You know, and that's why I love being out of LA and living in Ventura County. I mean, my neighbor and I could probably not have more different life experiences and, um, political beliefs but i love she's awesome i, I love uh, her second you're gonna say i love 
that's why I love being out of LA and in Malibu. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, right. You're really, you're really. No, no. no. What's interesting about working and being in Malibu and what you realize in Malibu is the people that actually live in Malibu are more conservative than people would would have them to be because Malibu used to be farmland and you still have a lot of people. Um, It's the horse country too. There's a lot of horses. Yeah. Well, it's Malibu to Agora, which is right near me now. And as you go to Thousand Oaks, Moore Park, there's a lot of farms in Moore Park. The more you go north into Ventura County, there's a lot more, you see all the, all the farms. Yeah. And um, I just. Yeah. People doing real work. Hello. (laughs) It's like, People that are doing the that are actually working and doing real work are by and large much more. I don't even know if conservative is the right word, but it's just more like middle of the road and realistic, like based in reality. It's it's like to me it it really boils down to people who are based in reality and what you see. Like yes, a lot of it's based on faith. I understand that. I'm but it's you take things at face value. It's like the Occam's razor. You know you mm-hmm. like. The simplest answer is usually the right answer you see and you're not like dealing in all these abstractions abstractions of like what would be in like you know aoc and her supposed like she just it's like she invent like listening to her it's like listening to someone just inventing like a child inventing stories it's like all of these (laughs) a lot which a lot of these politicians do um and i think what it does is it it allows you to not actually have to do anything because you're so preoccupied dealing in abstractions and theoretical, you know, in academics kind of fall under this category for the most part. You're sitting there theorizing about things, but in actuality, it's, it's why academics usually make terrible business leaders because they've never actually applied the theories of, that they're espousing. And I'm, I'm saying that as a vast generalization. I think oftentimes it's better when professors have some real world experience in the business world in particular, you know, like you're coming in and Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I understand. One of the greatest books I've read and it's, I mean, my stacks are just everywhere, but this one, Intellectuals in Society by Thomas Hall. I Um, mean, it is, it is a doozy. I love Thomas Hall. Yeah, he's amazing. And that's what he talks about is like intellectuals deal in abstractions. They're not in the farms. They actually don't know what what the consequences are when you practice these things. And you know, it's, it's kind of the, the elite, right? It's the elitism, but education didn't used to all be that. Education used to be a place, like when I was at um, Washington and Lee, which is a very kind of elitist, but, but yeah. it's still a liberal arts school. And we, yeah. no matter what your major was, you were taught to critically think. You yes. weren't taught a certain ideology. You weren't taught about activism and how to go out in the world. It taught you how to be a critical thinker and a good human of what it mean, meant to be a, a human as a part of a community and civics and that kind of stuff and education. You got to listen to this great podcast interview with um, Russ Roberts from Econ Talk. Mm. Um, I'll send it to you. And he interviewed Roosevelt. I think his last name is Montas. He's the either the president of Columbia or head of the classics, but he like Columbia University is the whole curriculum is still based in liberal arts and making an argument for why liberal arts education is so important because it does teach you how to have discourse and conversation and critically think about problems as opposed to this like very technical 
I'm right, you're wrong, black and white, this is like ones and zeros, you know, and I spent, as you know, I spent 10 years in Silicon Valley. So it's, that's what a lot of that thinking is, it's ones and zeros because it's technology, money, and it's very binary. And I think that, not that there wasn't room for critical thinking, but you just kind of see how that world, how that world works. It's like pumping out a generation of workers who don't necessarily, like they couldn't tell you the how, they could tell you the what, but they couldn't tell you how to get from point A to B. They're like, that's A, that's B. But like this, and I'm, again, I'm like vastly generalizing, but mm-hmm. it, in one sense, it's like the problem solving, real problem solving comes with critical thought and understanding what motivates people and what drives human behavior. Like at the, at the, the, the base of everything- Correct is human behavior. It's not, it's not numbers. Yeah. Know? Well, this is why I, I feel like when you come of that word, there's a certain um, extraction of humanity. When you boil everything down to just numbers and binaries and right or wrong, it, it's like, there's this degradation of what it means to be a human, which is messy, which is Nuanced. there are no solutions. There are alternatives, you know, and, and and when it comes to like the easy decisions, right? Of like, oh, do I have an apple or an orange today? Like there's no consequence to that really. But when it comes to a decision you're talking about big moral decisions about, you know, a, a man whose daughter was raped by someone, you know, and, and that man c- kills that person. Right. Like there's no, there's no, like, to me, that's only, only God can determine that kind of justice, right? Like of what's right and what's wrong. But because I feel like we're in such a time of moral failure, it's like, well, someone's got to step in and do something. Well, the, the, I think politics has become a religion Mm -hmm. in and of itself. And which is why you see the ideology as strong as it is. And people who are finding their North star and their belief system in politics, which is just a losing battle because it's a human, talk about a human construct or a social construct. Yes, we need, like we need a government, but government is different than politics. I think people Mm -hmm. play the two it's, you know, government is there to, for us, for the people to protect us, to help the poor, to intervene, when, you know, with the military, when we need safety, when things go awry. And right now it's like, they're supposed to kind of be the referees and now they're like on the playing field and it's just a big power. Mm. So I, you know, that is, and I forget who made that, um, who made that distinction and talks, there's a writer who kind of talks about it in those terms, but that's why I think we're seeing what we're seeing is because the government has become so overreaching and so ensconced with corporate, you know, um, what's the word, uh, corporate interests mm-hmm. that there's no more like separation and they're not working for, I mean, local governments, I think do a pretty good job of working for the people, but the federal government is just, it's just not, it's not doing a great job. I mean, look at, look at the situation. Oh, we're God. It's not good. You know, it's but not that's what, like it comes to communities and local and you're 
yeah. talking to your neighbor and yeah. you're more likely to resolve an issue well and to compromise with someone you know and care about. Like I would never just throw somebody in my community to the curb, but it's right. really easy to throw someone to the curb when you're in DC and they're in California. Like they don't give it, they don't know the nuances. They don't know the particulars of the community. They don't know. And, 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 and we are a little tribal and, and that's why this government was set up the way it was to have more, the states and locals were yeah. supposed to have more power. And right. because they like-minded people were more likely to live in Tennessee together or and Texas or Florida. And in peace, right. which, is, which is what you, which is the goal of any well-functioning society is peace. Correct. And so now it's, it isn't about peace. It's about power and wealth. And that whole narrative of, you know, all we really want as humans, like basic fundamental instinct is we want to feel connected and we want to have peace and we don't want to be constantly fighting. We want that in our marriages and our primary relationships and our family relationships and our community, in our city, in our country, in the world. That's what we all want, you know? And now it's like, I believe in the next 10 years, there will be this shift that's already happening. People are moving to smaller communities. They're moving mm -hmm. back home. They're getting out of these um, dictatorships, frankly, is what a lot of these big cities have become. And when you say, you know, DC doesn't know the interests of California, I think it's more like DC doesn't know the interests of like Kansas and yeah. Alabama. I, well, I they know the interests of, of LA. They know the interests of the big cities because they're aligned, right? right? Because and they're all like, aligned. And so yeah. it's almost like, you have two, you almost have like two entities at play, which is the middle of the country and the coast. And I think those are really what tend to battle um, ideologically and just in terms of the, their kind of value system. Um, and I, I think that if you, you know, if you take it down to the individual level, do you like being told what to do? No. No. Do you like being told, where you're supposed to go to shop, what you're supposed to wear, how you're supposed to feel, how you're supposed to think. I mean, if people just took a step back and, and took it to like a one-on-one -on -one situation, they'd realized, they would realize how really screwed up it is that you're okay with some, some big entity just like telling a whole swath of people of which they know nothing about what they should be doing. I mean, it's, it's absurd. And I think most of the country says around everything that's being shouted about like transgenderism and, and all the, all the thing, do you go ahead and do it, but don't yeah. force the rest of us to right. accommodate special. Okay. You are free. You were free well, to go if, do if it. We had to accommodate for the minority meaning. Okay. So I, do I think that we should have wheelchair ramps at restaurants and places so disabled people can get yes i think that that's that's a fundamental that's access that's, that's access. equal access that's and equal i'm okay access. with that yeah and i think those types of things are very important i think it's just become so overbloated with all of these special interests it's like you know what what's next like the protective rights for people with webbed feet i mean like that's how absurd it seems right well that's it's, where it's going and that that's yeah. it, what, what changed my mind like i got challenged so much by the stuff i was reading in school and one of the hardest um propositions that i read about is that the civil rights act it started a very slippery slope right mm -hmm. not to say that 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 it became about something other than than um, rights for blacks, that the Civil Rights Act now made everything a right, 
right? right? Not just, not just equal access, but like my identity is now a right. Meaning because I identify with this, I need, I have a right. Like, again, I, I'm, I'm saying it so poorly, but it was, it, it challenged what I thought to be the civil rights act. Well, and I think people interpret I do believe that people interpret things differently based on their experience, mm -hmm. not to, not to kind of use that term lived experience, because I think it's been bastardized, but the reality is we all have different experiences in our life and, and that the aggregate of those experiences do impact how we interpret things mm -hmm. and how, what we believe is a right versus a choice versus it, you know, so I, I think that part of the, the challenge now is that you either, you know, and not to get into the abortion argument, because it's, it's, I think it's, there's a lot of different opinions and many of which are valid, but you either have freedom on everything or you have freedom on nothing. And I'm, and I'm not saying we're just free to like, yes, we need some sort of moral compass, but at what point do we start to pick and choose freedom based on what's best for like one person or one side, you know, so it, because it isn't interpretive to a degree, like someone's thinking about freedom in one sense is going to be different from someone else's. The only thing that we have, a right, in my opinion, the only thing that's really protected is freedom of thought. And when that stuff starts to go away, when people start tell you, telling you how you should think to me, it's like, then you, you've lost me. Like then, you know, because if we don't have, the autonomy, or we don't have the ability to think freely for ourselves, then we really are kind of just in a slave state. And mm -hmm. I think that is happening. Mm -hmm. I think it's like Orwell's worst, you know, version of 1984 is definitely happening. Um, oh, we see, I, I mean, think, we see very tangible. What, what was the, what did Biden put in place? The misinformation uh, task well, force or something. Yeah. Yeah. That, about a week. that was dismantled. Oh, Ooh. thank goodness. Yeah. Um, it's, um, but anyway, I, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go with it. I think where I always come, come back to as someone who I do value freedom and I do I do think that like you're saying, you should be able to choose who you want to marry, who you want to partner up with, what you do with your body. But I don't think that then those should be used as an opportunity to shame and guilt and fight and whatever else, you know, I think that we, we all have to give some grace. I think the one of the main issues now that that I believe is that there's no grace, there's no forgiveness. Mm -hmm. We're just shouting at each other. And it's like, if you believe that someone is sinning or you believe someone's making the wrong decision, then let them make that decision and just yeah. be forgiving and loving and say, hey, I'm here. If you want to have a conversation about it, if you want to talk to me about how you're feeling. And it's again, it's go, goes back to that horseshoe thing. It's very puritanical the way that the progressive movement is operating. It's very judgmental. It's very black. Oh black, yeah. Very like you, it's like all or nothing. It's our way or the highway. Um, which is why it's so curious to me. Because it's like, aren't they the party like of peace, peace love so and tolerance? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just so ironic. It's like a, you're watching like a Monty Python movie or something, you know? I know. And they it, don't see, they don't see it. Like it's, it's well, you know why? Cause their heads are, you know, where their heads are up their ass. Yeah. I oh. mean, well, because, well, because I, I, they're just believing, I mean, you live in, a, you lived in LA, I live in LA, we've lived in, we've lived in all those places. 
part of survival is learning how to play the game in the echo chamber. And if you don't do it, you will be ousted. And that's part of the decision to say, okay, I built my career in this kind of echo chamber and I did it and I know how to play the game, but I just don't want to do it anymore. Like, I just, I want to like, like, I just don't, I'm not going to try to, this system's not going to change. That system is not going to change. It has to be completely dismantled and there has to be a different way or a different thing put in place. That's what I believe. I don't think that you can change Hollywood. I don't think you can change DC. I don't think that, I think it completely crumbles and then some, and something new comes up, but you're not going to like you doing one little thing. It's not going to change the system. It's just not. No, I don't think. I mean, you may think differently, but no, I agree. I mean, Hollywood, when you see the, the, the fundamental idea of Hollywood and I'm not against like all of a sudden, I think I'm, I'm an artist at heart, right? Like yeah. you a dancer and I love to move and I love expression and I love all of those things, but the Hollywood is something very different. The industry of Hollywood and its very premise is things are an illusion. And, and I love at Hollywood at its best and movies at its best, explore the full range of what it means to be human. Right. right. But we've, what it's become is this very singular message focus idea. Um, yeah. And so and everyone's okay and everyone's normal and you're supposed to just accept everything. And yeah, okay. by the way, in terms of the dance, are you into ecstatic dance? Because if you say yes, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely make fun of you. No, I've done a couple. Well, I did five rhythms for a while, which I enjoyed only because it was a space I could go and just move. It's um, Gabrielle Roth that, that the body can express itself in five rhythms. And it's just like the rhythms of life. There's flow, there's staccato, there's, you know, sharp, it's five rhythms. But Um, at any point in time, were you just gyrating around a room? No. I mean, some people were, I tried to go at one time and I, in, when I lived in San Francisco and I was like, okay, this is like, this is where I draw the line. I can't, I'm like, I'm definitely a little woo woo, you know, like I'll sit sit on a crystal bed. I'll sit on a crystal bed. Totally cool. (laughs) But like, don't ask me to like be around a guy like dancing in a speedo and like gyrating on the wall. No, no, but that's the ecstatic dance I've, I've done. Okay. No, I've done it, but I, I'm typically the past couple of times I've gone because they they did it at the bottom of Topanga at the beach. So I went and I usually put in my own headsets. I just go so I don't look like a freak dancing out in the open to my own music. So I'm like amongst other freaks and I'm not really participating because it was the silent thing where everybody had headsets on and they were feeding the music into oh, people oh. with the headsets. Right. Because it was, it was, we, I don't know it now that's like the new thing is ecstatic dance, but everybody's got their own headsets, which is anyway. right. Because everyone's their own individual person, Jen. Exactly. Exactly. But we're all supposed to fit also. It's like so confusing. It's like you're an individual, but you want to be included. We, we joked about this the other day. It's like, okay, so what is it? What is it you want? You want everyone to be individual? You want everyone to be included? You want everyone to fit? By the way, Jesus, Jesus freak Jen is my favorite version. <laughs> Of all the of all the gens that I've known, Jesus Freak is definitely my favorite. Yep, I'm she, I'm a fan too of this version of me. <laughs> she's the most fun. She laughs the most. Yeah, uh, she's you the least offended. No existential crises. No, I'm not. I'm not like flat on a floor thinking I'm I'm have to fix myself every day. Yeah, uh, isn't it a relief? Oh my god! Like, it was oh, like I'm just I'm just. Oh, sorry. There's a fly. 
I live on a farm. We <laughs> live on a farm. Um, Here comes the farm. There's a right there too, by the way. Uh, yeah, it's such a relief to be like, oh, I can just be a total mess and it's totally fine. Like, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I'm just go to Walmart and like <laughs> buy some towels and then everything will be fine. I, I spent like $45 for some meditation workshop in Marin County, which probably now is like $7,000 with meditation. But uh, the girl was like, she's like, I'm going to lead you through a meditation. She's like, everybody close their eyes. And, and she, and she's like, I'm just going to say some things, you know, that are very poetic and, you know, they're supposed to bring to bring to life, like things inside. And then she's like, the river runs and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay. And she's like, and then she's like, and then she's like, the tree grows and I'm like are you fucking smoking crap like yeah no kidding that's what they do this is not groundbreaking like it, it just it was so dumb poetry like, that's poetry. Yeah, it's like I should have just stayed home and like you know I don't even know taking a nap but it was it was like the point I, I was at the point where I was just like this is this is like the pinnacle of understanding of people being so full of themselves and taking themselves so seriously it's like the poems by Atticus you know this guy Atticus who writes these ridiculous poems and he has like 9 million followers on Instagram. But yeah, I just, I was sitting there and, and she did after like the fifth one, I'm like looking around and I'm like giggling. Cause I'm thinking, is this a joke? Like, this has to be, this has to be a joke. And everyone's so serious. I'm like, Into she's it. Not saying anything. She's saying absolutely nothing. I'm not getting fed. I'm just laughing. Like I'm just giggling. Well, that was kind of, I mean, I wasn't laughing in this minute because I've done some of these practices and I get it. I'm like, this is a lot of effing work. Like all I have to do now is think of Jesus and my, my heart's light. Like that's it. So much easier. Like it was good. So let me ask you a question. It's real. This is totally serious. Okay. Think of Jesus. (laughs) What is he wearing? Is he in a sandals or is he? Yeah. Or on the cross. He's like about to get his feet, feet washed. No, I don't even know about the feet washing thing, really. (laughs) Jesus's feet. This is what Jesus's feet looks like. (laughs) Red toenails. (laughs) Not my mind. Wait a second. No, but when you think of Jesus on the cross, that's so morbid. No, it's just a sensation. It's not like, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a visualizer, like in meditations. That's why I've always had like, I, oh my gosh, I would see, I remember being in trainings and people would come out of meditations and we would be asked about our experience. Someone would raise and I just saw this light, this rainbow of colors and these unicorns flying with stars coming out their asses. <laughs> yeah, you're like, so and I'm like taking before we took, went to class, which drugs? Which all drugs? I was seeing was like nothing, darkness. I mean, so I, I'm not a visual. Some people are more visual, right? No, and they're sensory. It's okay. You just have a dark soul. That's <laughs> I know, I know people that would, oh, by the way, this, I'm sorry. I've just had to like keep going on this for a minute. I went to the sound bath a few weeks ago in Nashville. <laughs> this whole podcast. <laughs> I know it was so, the sound bath was so bad. And the, one of the girls that was in it, and it was so loud. And she was like, she was just making a lot of noise. And it was very, <laughs> it was very jarring. And I'm like, I know that I'm like, not a great person. I mean, I'm trying to be a good person. <laughs> Like that. I know that I'm evil and spawning the devil. She was, but... like, she was like super, like she was like doing the bowls and it was so loud and it was so jarring. And this sweet girl, the seven girl that was in there, she's probably like 22 or something. She'd never been to a sound bath and she, she was very, you know, kind of nervous about it. And so afterwards, 
um, the lady's like going around asking everyone what they thought and how they feel. And this girl was like, well, to be honest, um, I, it was really kind of like disturbing to my, really loud. And the lady was like, oh, that's just, you know, that's just, you know, the spirit working through you. I'm thinking, bitch, no, it's not like the bad sound bath. Like you gave her like a, you gave her like a sound, like thunderstorm. Like it was not, there was no bathing. bathing. It was like a full on like tornado. This poor girl's like, well, she's like, she's like, well, I mean, it was really disturbing. And then the, it's like the ultimate gaslight. The lady's like, no, no, that's just because <laughs> that's just the evil is coming out of your soul. Yeah, the evil spirits. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't, I can't handle it. I gotta go. I left like 10 minutes early. I'm like, like, how are you feeling? I was like, I'm good. I'm totally good. I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to go. I'm going to go have a glass of wine and like try to recover from whatever you're accosting my eardrum. Costing my eardrums, I can't hear. It's so hard to focus. It's hard to focus. I think that part of it is just the, there are things that need to be serious, but I do think there's yeah. so much serious, sorry, fly. There's a, so much seriousness now that I do feel like we're craving laughter and light. And I don't know. I just feel like that's maybe my survival mechanism is just trying to find the funny, the humor in things. Well, yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, I... <laughs> I, I realize what I'm doing right now. Um, I mean, I, I sit and meditate and I do my prayers and I do it every morning. And, and now I'm going to say, I don't feel the need to advertise about it, but I just told you so. But right. you know what I mean? Like I sit and I do it and that's my time. Yeah. And yeah. then, so I can go out in the world and not be carrying the weight of everything and, and then and then projecting that onto others. So we can be light and funny and, and you know, I do well, just I, serious I, stuff on my own. I think what's happened or what some weird cultural shift is that you are to be dark and depressed and full of anxiety. And that means that you're progressing in life and that, and that means that you must be <laughs> doing something very important. If mm -hmm. you are so serious and, and um, you have this like kind of existential angst all the time and you're an act activist about something and it's kind of like, well, I don't think that's probably the most useful way to run around. Like I'd rather just try to find the joy in things. And yeah. not just there are not a lot of dark moments and dark days because there are, but it's not the identity that I choose to, to wear. It's like, I don't, I don't really want people to know when I'm depressed or I have anxiety or I'm struggling, you know, that's very private. And I kind of have my methods for dealing with that. You know, I just, I just don't think it's, for whatever reason it's turned into as you know that that phrase the oppression olympics you know well yeah and it's like the virtue signaling of it like you said somehow this is be, to be angst angsty about something is now more virtuous yeah you know yeah. if you're not going see, through I'm some so sort of spiritual crisis then it, you're you're really not doing my favorite like terminology in the spiritual work the work you yeah. know um well and it's all that i i feel like when i had a big shift five years ago, you know, in 2017, when I had that big personal tragedy. And it's, I think what I started realizing is I'm just tired of doing, and I, I'm a human being, not a human doing. And so who am I being and who do I want to be? And what is all this other stuff that is assuming all my mind share? Like I'm just, I'm going and going and going and achieving and achieving and achieving and all that stuff is important, but it really isn't that fulfilling. You know, it's like, who are you when you're sitting by yourself and you're just like staring at the trees or 
you're doing nothing. It's like, why do we have to be doing something all the time? You know, um, but I think social, I think social media has played into that a little bit. I, I really have, am not super active. I'm pretty much the least active I can be with someone who's supposed to be like promoting a book, you know, it's, you know. Speaking of, shall we get to the book? I mean, eventually yeah. we have to. And I had, I'm like, I want to yeah. hear, I want everyone to know about your journey from like boxers and ballerinas when oh, we, gosh. we yeah. met to Springfield, Tennessee, you know, on a farm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that would, that's a, that's a long, that's a long journey. Yeah. <laughs> to go there. <laughs> there's so much even before that, you know, it's like, yeah. Just, living just kind of like trying to keep evolving well and I think you and I have had similar lives and I feel like I'm on my fourth life right now at least yeah and different Isn't that part of being, I mean that's part of being human yeah. is that to me it just means you're growing yeah you're you're trying not to stay stuck I think it's really easy to get stuck and get comfortable and I I tend to feel uncomfortable when I get too comfortable like when things are super easy I'm like am I growing am I mm -hmm. challenging myself so that's always been my biggest challenge. Like, how can I just stay still and just kind of enjoy and let things come as opposed to trying to like force into yep. the next thing, you know, which is where I'm at right now. It's like, it's a definitely like I, I'm in a transition, but I'm trying to just be chill about it, which is not super easy. But yeah, because we want to take the, you know, that that to me was this, the biggest shift for me um, was that surrender. You know, it's like, oh man, every time I try to take control of things, I just fuck it up. Yeah, I make a proper it. mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let, let's do get to your book. Oh. Champagne oh. for One, a celebration, of so a celebration of Solitude. Yeah. Tell us what inspired the book. So I think that what, where it came from for me was, um, having spent a lot of time alone in my life and being single for a very long time. Um, when my best friend passed away uh, very suddenly, what I realized was why do we see, and I was very alone. I just moved to Nashville. She, she was living in Nashville and I kind of moved here and, like by and large, cause she was here and I was in a new city and I was, I kept thinking like, why do I always end up alone? Hmm. And then I, and then I kind of, decided I'm going to shift my thinking a little bit about this because that's what she would want. Like she was a celebrator of life, you know, and what I started to do is just accept all these moments of being alone. And instead of feeling badly about it, I was like, this can actually be a really great way to grow and to learn and know it's not ideal, but I'm really never, you're really never alone. If you're connecting to, you know, your higher power, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I had great friend. I mean, I have great friendships. I have great family relationships. So, um, I just really started exploring the topic and then I enrolled in the second cities satire and humor writing program. I had always been writing like my whole career. And so just mm -hmm. wanted to focus it so that the book really stemmed from graduating from that program and then taking the, my writing to really like a whole different level and doing a lot of humor and satire writing. So, um, but the, I think that as a writer, if that's like one of my, you know, one of my zones, um, I like to take topics that people, it's almost like kind of taboo topics and turn them on their head a little bit. Um, so that was, this was just really the result of that. And then 
I think the next one I'm going to write is obviously going to be about relationships. So it's like, this is kind of like the relationship with yourself is the most important one that we have to nurture and cultivate because no one's going to want to be with you if you can't stand yourself. You know, I also don't think that being in a relationship is the end goal of life. I think that there, yes, I think that relationships are important, but I think it's just as important to understand who you are in the world. So you can come into whatever relationship you're in as a full person. Um, and so that was really the, the genesis of the book was kind of this tragedy that pushed me into this new kind of way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And the irony of it was you ended up in a relationship, I think not long after you accepted and yeah, gave yourself some grace around the solitude. Yeah. I, uh, I met my now husband the day of my best friend's funeral. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. So a lot of the, you know, the truth is that, um, you need solitude in relationships too. I think that knowing and understanding your own aloneness, it, it doesn't go away because you're married or because you're in a relationship. Right. It's, we, we need that part of our identity, so to speak. Um, we need to kind of constantly be retooling ourselves and like retracting. I think that, um, the book has really resonated with moms, um, ironically, maybe not ironically, but it's like moms who can't get enough alone time or can't seem to get solitude and are just craving. They're like, when do I get me time? You know, when do I get to kind of regroup? And so, um, I just say like, fight, fight for it. And even in, you know, a marriage, you, you'd start to kind of lose, mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, why am I wearing Yeti hats? Like, why am I carrying a Yeti? This is because I have like adopted so many, you know, traits of my husband because that's what just happens, right? You start to become in a good way. You, you kind of become very similar. And then I'm like, okay, but really, you know, this is like not what I want to be doing. So how do I get back? How do we you get don't back? want to carry a Yeti mug? Is that very, I mean, I do. That, I, okay. I do. I think there's it. something wrong with you if you don't like. But it needs to be pink. No, I'm just kidding. Mine's blue. Um, Mine's I, I have red. like we have an entire we have an entire cabinet full of yet of every kind of yeti you could possibly imagine. Um, but it's cool. It's fun. very funny. But um, yeah. So I think it's just I don't think that people like to talk about solitude. I think they it's always seen most of the time it's seen as like a very negative thing. And then like you were saying before, it's something to be fixed. Like we need to fix it. We need to, there's, this is a problem. This is a solution. Mm. It's not, this is not, we don't live in, we're not meant to live in that kind of a way. Mm. Like that's a problem. I need a solution. And you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. It's like, how do I stop feeling bad about myself for just being who I am? Like that's half the battle. It's like, Mm -hmm. how do I, I'm just, is who I am. Like, I don't want to feel bad about it. So like, let me just surround myself with ways of thinking and people that don't make me feel bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's easy, but it's not, unfortunately. Yeah. I loved, um, I mean, there are a couple chapters that I loved. The, the bathroom of one's own is exactly what you're talking about, right? So even if you don't have kids, you're married. And I, it reminds me, I was having a conversation. Um, my best friend that lives in Colorado, we were talking after work. He goes, how are you? And I said, did you ever just get in your car and sit there? Like you'll start the car to go somewhere to go home or to go to work. And you're just like, I just need to sit. And it's, and I live by myself. Right. And I, I live by myself and I just, somehow we need 
a contained space that's separate. And I said to him, because Joe, it's really, it's really my car or the toilet where I just feel I can sit and not have to do anything. Like, he's like, are you a dude? I'm like, I guess in some ways I am, but you say the bathroom is your like, yeah, my sanctuary, your sanctuary. And so bathroom, toilet, whatever. But it's like, for some reason, like I said, I live by myself, but it's almost like in my own home, I don't give myself that necessary. I'm just going to sit on the couch. Right. Like I have to be forced to sit for a reason and then just not go like, you know, yeah. or stay or not, not, not get off the toilet, whatever, you know what and I mean? I think you think that, so I think that we live in a culture that values doing and productivity and efficiency. You know, it's why we have all these gadgets that can tell us every single thing about our bodies at all times, what we should be eating, what we should be doing. I'm, you know, having worked in technology for a long time, I'm almost like resistant to a lot of that, those things, because Mm -hmm. I feel like what it does to us subconsciously is makes us think that we have to be doing something or we're not doing enough, or we need to be more productive all the time. And so one of the things that I practice, and it's much easier to do when you're staring at like, you know, cows and pastures and stuff, but is just really doing nothing. It's just mm-hmm. sitting and doing nothing. And that's usually when the creativity comes. Like if mm-hmm. you're, I don't think you can actually be creative if you're sitting in a meeting going like, let's all be creative. Well, that's not really how, it ha- I mean, it can happen that way, but like the really big moments of creativity and the real big leaps and thinking or in feeling or in emotions don't happen when you're in doing mode. They happen when you're in doing nothing mode. So um, that's been a lot of my growth and practice has been, okay, how, what can I, I don't have my phone with me. I'm just, I'm not like trying to make something happen. I'm just kind of wandering around. (laughs) Well, and that's why, I mean, half of my papers last semester were written in the pool. Like, I'm just like, I just got to go for a swim and I'd be swimming. And all of a sudden it would just like be this flood of ideas. So then I would have to get my phone and have it at the end of the lap. And I'd, I'd start writing. And I think not only the big like creativity, but the truths come right. Right. Like the, not only the, the ideas, but like when you get away, strip away all the noise, like what is fundamentally true. And there, there are some, I mean, if you, if you believe in human nature and you watch nature, like there are some truths about this world we live in, despite what some people might tell you. One thought I've been having recently um, is that there's a, we have a lot of birds that like fly around our property. And what I'm like, how I'm trying to like kind of imagine. So there's at times there's, the birds are just like flying in. They're not even flying. They're just like floating, you know, cause they're in the, the airstream. Mm-hmm. And other times we're like flapping like crazy and trying to get around and go up and down. And I'm like, if I can just, when you're in that flow and you're, and you're just going and you're, the movement is just there, you know, and you aren't doing anything. You're just like, oh, I'm here. And then I'm going to try to be that. Like, that's how I want my life to feel. I don't want it to feel like the insane bird that's like going against the wind and like trying to, you know, get to the group. It's like, how do I reorient? my life so that I'm not saying there's not going to be problems, but like 90% of the time you shouldn't be having to fight for things. You really Mm -hmm. shouldn't. It Mm -hmm. should just be, okay, I'm doing what, what I'm my purpose, what God's intention or what I feel is the right thing for me. I I have 
fulfilling relationships. I'm not trying to be something I'm not, I'm not trying to do, do, do. So that, that's been an interesting, like being around so much nature has been really eye-opening because you're just, every answer we need, we get from nature, Mm -hmm. every answer. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think there's people spend enough. Most people don't spend enough time in nature to really see it, but we have like, it's just, they, it just goes like the grass just grows. It doesn't need permission. The birds just fly. They don't need to be told, told, they how to, yeah. told how to fly. They aren't told they're doing it wrong. It's like, well, if they're doing it wrong, they like smash into a window and they figure it out, you know? So this, this whole idea that we have to be so, we need to be, we need data to tell us everything. We need, we need all of these rules and all these constructs. It's like, just be free. Just, just look at nature and look how nature operates and get into your natural essence. You know, that's, that's you probably are a hippie girl. You are a hippie. I am such a, I'm not an ecstatic dancer, but I am. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, again, there's some stuff that's just for show, you know, and um, yeah. there's the authentic freedom. And, and what I find, like, when you say get in the flow, there's also like, I want to be in flow, but I want to be directed, right? I don't want to just go where the wind blows. I want to be in flow, but I want, I want to know where my true, my true North is, so to speak in the direction I'm going. And then I go with the wind and I feel like you self-correct when there's a lot of resistance against something. Like you said, the bird that hits the window knows, okay, I was probably going in the wrong direction. Let me get back in flow and point in the right direction. Um, so wise we are. Oh my gosh, we're so smart. I just don't even understand it. Jessica Chastain. Oh, why can't we? Oh my God. She, I just, she's like my lead. I just can't handle her. I don't know enough about her. I don't think I've even seen a movie with her since. Well, lucky you. <laughs> What's the movie that made her popular? I don't even know. Is it just because she has red hair? No, I don't know. I no, I don't know. I, I it's it's it, there's like even a saying now. It's like kind of this funny. It's like oh, that's so Chastain, or something, and that basically means it's so basic. <laughs> like it's so like. Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of people like that. I don't know. I shouldn't pick on her. I shouldn't pick on her. Well, what was the thing I said? I don't like drama in my own life, but it's fun to watch other people. Yeah, it is fun to watch other people's. <laughs> like a little bit of drama. It's kind of fun. Like yeah. You know, some you can't be like a Zen Buddhist all the time. No, you can't be like Jesus. You, know, you can try. <laughs> exactly. But. I fail most most of the time. Um, yeah, I don't. Oh, is it that movie about the um, cards? Oh no, I saw that uh, one. The Help. The Help. That was one. Was she I in that one? I don't think that made her popular necessarily. I think. I, she wasn't the help, but there was one before that. Um, but yeah, I just, there's just something about her. It drives me crazy. And on that note, I end part one of my interview with Rebecca Eilip. If you enjoyed our little chit chat, be sure to stay tuned in the coming weeks when I post episode two of our conversation. Rebecca and I riff on what it means to be human, the role of God, and more smack about Jessica Chastain. If Rebecca makes you giggle as much as she does me, you won't want to miss it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes and share with a friend. Until next time, stay connected.